The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. Welcome, welcome. Uh, as This has been an exciting year, and this is the last live program of the year. Uh, for the next two weeks, I will let uh, all of my listeners catch up on previous uh, shows, maybe that they, they have missed. I'll be rerunning a couple uh, that I thought were particularly uh, interesting, and will also provide a platform for uh, Uh, some further discussions that I have planned for you in January. But today, I am very excited to be uh, talking to Ely Wood and Kirsten Latham uh, about a book that they have written called Objects of Experience. And, you know, it it wasn't so long ago that... uh, Objects were getting a really bad rap in museums. Uh, you know, uh, ironically enough, I mean, we spend so much of our time caring for them, collecting them, curating them, uh, 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 certainly focusing so much attention on them. But when it would come to displaying them, except if we were in an art museum where the object is always prime, uh, in uh history museums, science museums, uh, there was a trend to sort of focus on the story. Stories are always good. The themes, you know, sort of the intent, the messaging that we want to talk about. And we would sort of fill in those objects where we needed to uh, instead of uh, perhaps starting with the objects. So I found uh, this book, uh, which of course you can get through Left Coast Press, uh, and it's full name is called The Objects of Experience, Transforming Visitor Object Encounters in Museums. And I found this a particularly uh, refreshing book and also very practical. Uh, so I am thrilled to have uh, the both Ely and uh, Kirsten here with me today. Um, you, uh, These are well-known names to many of you. Uh, Ely is Associate Professor and Director of the Museum Studies 
Studies program in the School of Liberal Arts at Indiana University, uh, Purdue University, IUPUI in Indianapolis. Uh, And Kirsten is an assistant professor in the School of Library and Information Sciences and the Muse Lab Curator at Kent State University, where she also teaches. Um, Both of them are wonderful researchers and uh, thoughtful teachers. So welcome both of you today. I'm thrilled to have you on the program. Thank you, Carol. Um, I only gave the briefest of uh, introductions to both of you, and I did did that purposefully because uh, I'd like each of you to just tell our listeners a bit about your career trajectory and especially those pivotal experiences that have shaped your thinking about museums. And Ely, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, Well, I I would be remiss if I didn't say that my start really took place at the Milwaukee Public Museum, uh, where I grew up and spent a lot of time as a child uh, wandering through their fabulous dioramas and imagining uh, what life was like in all of these other places, whether it was in the streets of old Milwaukee, which is a very classic favorite um, to some of their more immersive environments that range across the world. And um, moving from there, I, I became a, uh, a volunteer at the Wizard Wing, which was a hands-on gallery that was early an early children's museum, and I think that has ultimately evolved into um, several different experiences in the city. And then... Um, I never really knew that I could have a job in museums. I didn't quite know where I could go with it. And so I kind of went off to college and did work in theater and uh, found myself back in a museum right after college working as an exhibit developer uh, at a children's museum that didn't necessarily have a collection, but we certainly did a lot of work with objects. And I think... um, especially for the purposes of this book, a lot of my uh, early thinking happened in a great book seminar that was hosted by Aztec and uh, NEH, where we looked at, talked about some of the great books in literature with faculty from St. John's College and then explored museum exhibits. And I did that in Minneapolis and St. Paul, where I was living at the time. And that really got me thinking about our relationship to objects, whether they're artifacts or just um, contemporary things that help us think about life in museums. And so that that's probably the, the nutshell of my trajectory. That's very interesting and is also a good plug for uh, uh, Aztec or any kind of museum conference. It sort of gets us out of our offices and mm-hmm. thinking in new ways. Uh, that Thank you for reminding us about that. Uh, Kirsten, how about you? Well, um, my career trajectory isn't quite as clear um, as Ely's. I, I kind of have been involved in arts and history and um, and museums my whole life. I had a father who was an art, hist- art professor um, growing up in Michigan. I used to go across the street uh, from his college to the DIA, Detroit Institute of Arts, all the time where my uncle worked. Um, I had an, an uncle, another uncle in photography. I, ha- I had a whole family full of historians. So I was just kind of always in it. And then I, I, when I look back on it, though, I have a, a specific memory of a field trip to Henry, uh, the Henry Ford um, and Greenfield Village, and that's kind of that's kind of what I latch on to all the time. When people say, you know, what made you go into museums? Well, I, I didn't really know I was going to go into museums, but I always think of that time when I went to, on these field trips um, as a grade school student, uh, and I remember being in. Edison's lab, and I remember remember very concretely kind of um, 
being in that space and, and looking at the things that Edison had used and had touched. And um, that's always just kind of a really important memory for me. And it's, it wasn't really a pivotal experience necessarily, uh, but it's definitely something that has stuck with me all these years. I think really pivotal experiences, there's, there's many of them. One of them is, is actually um, is probably meeting Ely. <laughs> And she and she could probably tell you a little bit more about that. <laughs> okay, that that sounds great. Yes, uh, you know, having uh, uh, had a chance to speak with you before, and then also I think it comes through in the book. The two of you are. Uh, uh, just uh, excellent collaborators. Yes, you have a great chemistry indeed. and good, uh, I can just tell, a, a good uh, professional and probably personal friendship. And it comes through uh, in just uh, the easy read of of, uh, of the, the book. I felt that you were both sort of sitting in my living room uh, yeah, telling, telling, <laughs> telling me about this, we love that. this, uh, this story. <laughs> so, hmm. Ely, um, why don't you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, why don't you just uh, sort of... Um, uh, expand on what uh, Kirsten was saying about sure. how the two of you did meet and how this sure. collaboration began. Um, well, it it actually uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, is the the <laughs> source of our inspiration. It would turn out uh, we met at the visitor studies conference in two thousand six, and um, I had just finished my own um, dissertation on the meaning of childhood objects. And Kirsten was doing a presentation, I think it was on the poetry of, a, of the museum or poetry mm-hmm. in the museum, which subsequently turned up in an article, which I'm, I think is fabulous. And um, after hearing her presentation, she was talking about um, different experiences with objects and the ways that, that we create meaning and uh, experience out of them. And uh, she was using a framework that sounded very familiar to me. And so I went up to her afterwards and I said, we need to talk. We need to figure <laughs> this out. And um, we spent, gosh, we've spent a lot of time uh, over email and then meeting in person and, and working out our ideas. We've been working on the content of the book really since that point, although I don't yeah. know that we really figured that it was going to be a book until much later. Um, but I think that that it was just sort of hearing that unique and different twist on thinking about museum experiences that really kind of hooked me in the, in the early uh, phases of our process and really knowing that someone else was thinking the same way was excellent. Yes, uh, uh, those are those are always sort of uh, magical experiences when you realize that that you're not alone. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, so, do you want to talk a little bit more about the uh, the object uh, framework? Sure. Um, so, I think. Uh, when I say sort of, it all goes back to Grand Rapids. We uh, we had a conversation there at a literally at a table in a restaurant drawing out some of the early uh, versions of this uh, framework and thinking about um, our work both of, for both of us comes out of uh, the idea of phenomenology, which is a, a t- early 20th century philosophy that really looks at the study of lived experience, what it means to be sort of intentionally focused on your experiences or sort of understanding your perceptions of the world or your emotions. And we were really trying to figure out how do we 
how do we capture that experience that that people have, that we know happens, that we've had ourselves, museum people have this all the time, uh, of going into an exhibit or seeing an object and really feeling this close connection to it or some sort of like magical moment um, where we feel like we're one with the story of the object in whatever way that it's presenting itself to us. And I think that what we were what we were really looking for is a way of being able to explain that in a in a way that was different from what we were seeing in the museum field. I mean, we've clearly talked a lot about visitor experience in the field, sort of the pendulum swinging back and forth from focusing on the object as the only thing to the visitor as the only thing. We really wanted to look at how those two um, come together and how, um, I think, probably if you think about it, different ways of knowing comes into play so that it's not just knowing the facts about an object, but understanding your own personal experience in relation to it. Thank you. That is uh, that's that really is very helpful, and I find it uh, interesting uh, your uh, your observation that that uh, like anything else, where uh, we there are pendulum swings, and I too have been uh, at visitor studies conferences and other conferences where interpretation conferences where it does you know everything you know the object can tell its story itself uh, to you know the object is nothing if not. If if visitors aren't uh, engaging with it, and I and I think that that uh, that's another reason that I really enjoyed this book. It did seem to hit a a common ground, uh, but in but. It really went to me. It goes beyond the uh, the the obvious and gave us some tools to to look use tools and vocabulary to really start looking at at what we're we're uh, what we're talking about. And and one of the examples is you talk about object knowledge and uh, and as you said, that's sort of a way of knowing. But it, it, could you just help me understand a little bit more about what we mean by object knowledge? Uh, well, I think what, what we were working on here is uh, all of the different ways that a person comes in contact with an object as a way of being able to look at it. So whether they're, they're looking at it in terms of its physical qualities, if they're thinking about it because it's triggering a memory, uh, if they are understanding it because it's a, it has a powerful meaning for themselves in some way, that what we're, we're trying to get at is that um, the stories that objects lend are not always what's obvious. And so uh, if, if you, you know, and a lot of our work sort of draws across multiple fields. So we're drawing from archaeology, anthropology, psychology, sociology, etc. We're really thinking about it in terms of how does this object um, trigger for us. Uh, it's a focal point for bringing ideas and thoughts and meaning together. And that's kind of what we're talking about, object knowledge. It's a way of knowing through an object to get us to the next point in our understanding of either who we are, of a topic, of um, something that interests us. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, the way that, that we see ourselves through the object? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And how we can see other things as, as a way of helping us understand or make meaning. Interesting. Very interesting. Kirsten, uh, why do, so I, I'm, 
this is always difficult on radio because you don't have slides and we can't see your hands moving around. But, Which they but, are. Uh, yeah. uh, mine too. Uh, so could you just take us through a little bit about the object framework theory? Sure. So it's so the object knowledge framework is what Eli and I kind of came up with after all of this work we did together. We 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 really wanted something to kind of go back to ourselves, not just um, what we wanted to share with everybody, but we just felt like we had all of this knowledge and all of these things about um, what objects do and how people interact with them that we wanted to develop kind of a, a model of sorts. So we call it the object knowledge framework. And um, like you said, it's very difficult to talk about this without the picture in front of us. But imagine this, and, and even with the book in front of you, it's still difficult because the book is flat and linear. And really what we're talking about is something very dimensional, um, very three-dimensional, which we can't represent in any kind of a flat picture. But the idea is... Um, the object knowledge framework is there to um, to bring uh, kind of a holistic attention to this visitor object encounter, and it's composed of three elements of this encounter. Um, what the visitor brings to the experience, which we call uh, the life world, this is a unique experience, uh, and a lot of this draws from phenomenology, by the way. Um, the uh, how the museum positions or transforms the object within that experience. We call that the object world. Each of these, uh, if you imagine each as um, a person with three circles around it and an object with three circles around it, each of the, the dimensions of those different elements, the life world and the object world, are immersed in, in everything at once, which is an individual or personal uh, understanding of things, a group or a shared experience, as well as a material. So all, all three of those kinds of dimensions are always there for both a person and an object. And um, the third element of the object knowledge framework is what results if the conditions are right when the visitor and object meet in the exhibition or in the program in a museum. Um, they have what we call a unified experience, which is um, where deep meaning occurs. Sometimes we call this an aha moment. Uh, some call it holy, awe, wonder, enchantment, um, delight, whatever you want to call it. It's this connection that's really deep. Um, and we, we use the framework... Um, and these dimensions of the framework to, to structure and encourage a broader way of conceptualizing these visitor object encounters. What we hope is that people will use it um, to help um, generate a capacity to uh, bring transformational experiences to people in museums. Um, thank you. That's that's really helpful. So just uh, let let me make sure that I that I understand this correctly. So we have uh, the visitor bringing their own experience. We have the museum uh, presenting that uh, that object, mm-hmm. uh, and then together, when those two things sort of come together, there can be this, as you call it, a unified experience, or uh, I might call it just an aha moment uh, yeah. that that can um, allow transformations to occur. Uh, I, I, I get the framework, uh, and I think it's very, very interesting. In fact, I was talking with um, uh, actually a friend of mine uh, uh, who has been on the show, Terry, Terry Rouse, and we were talking about the difference be- that, say, a guitar might have uh, and how visitors would interact with that object, uh, whether it were in a museum you know, like the Experience Music Project, maybe it was Jimi Hendrix guitar, or whether how they would experience that guitar if they were, say, at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe. 
mm-hmm. and uh, you know just sort of the the differences that that those the differences and similarities uh, that people might ex, you know, ex- experience or or connect with that object. Uh, that that might be something that we could talk about a little little bit uh, later in the show. The way that a muse- you know, bringing an object into a museum actually oh, yes. changes mm-hmm. changes right. what that well, we, what what that object is. Sure, we talk about that um, a bit in the book. Um, there is a, a concept we call in museality, which a lot of people, even museum people, aren't familiar with. And it, it explores this idea of what happens when an object enters a museum. It changes, and it, its representation is totally different. So if you have that guitar in the Hard Rock Cafe, it's really different than when it's in a museum. And um, that's, that's something that Ely and I have spent a lot of time exploring and trying to figure out. Uh, and when we, when we have decided upon this object knowledge framework at this point, that that's the kind of thing that we're talking about in the unified experiences because we believe that museum um, professionals have the ability to to encourage these kinds of deep experiences where in Hard Rock Cafe, perhaps, you know, the, the, the object's just sitting on the wall. It isn't necessarily going to do anything and nobody's really concerned with making it do anything other than be cool. <laughs> right, right. There's there's no intentionality sure, uh, exactly. there. That's 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 a very good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go further and delve deeper into the the framework, both its theory and then uh, how it can be used in practice, uh, we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, more with Ely and uh, Kirsten about this wonderful uh framework that they've developed and and how they're they've actually tested it and are putting it into practice so we will be back in a moment uh remember uh, that you can always reach me and i am always thrilled to hear from my listeners and former guests uh to tell me about ideas topics and uh other guests that need to be on this show you can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net and i always enjoy hearing from you so we will be back in one moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and today I am here with uh, Ely Wood and Kirsten Latham talking about their book, The uh, Objects of Experience, uh, Transforming Visitor Object Encounters in Museums, that uh, you can get. It was published this uh, in 2014 by Left Coast Press. And uh, right before we went on break, Kirsten was explaining to us in very clear terms, I could see her hands moving. <laughs> about the object knowledge framework. And Ely, I know you want to jump in here and, and add <laughs> some things. Add some things. So please do. Let's let's uh, 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 continue to sort of uh, build this framework for our right. listeners. Well, uh, what, what triggered it for me was your example of the guitar in the museum <laughs> versus the guitar at the, you know, at the, the Hard Rock Cafe. And I actually have a great guitar experience to, um, to, to use as an illustration, last, oh, I guess it was almost two years ago now, uh, the Eidelberg Museum uh, here in Indianapolis had a guitars exhibit, and my husband happened to be one of the researchers on the project, and we had an opportunity to go through the um, go through the collections that were going to be on display before the before the exhibit opened, and it was a really fascinating. My husband's a musician and has lots of information and knowledge about guitars and about musicians and and um, music, and as did the the curator. And as we were going through, it was so interesting because all of these objects were on loan from a variety of musicians, and they had just days before been in these people's houses, leaning up against fireplaces and hanging on the wall and so forth. And everyone was walking around treating them as though the, they were the the most important things and they were <laughs> taking care of them with gloves and everything. And, it, and what was even more interesting was um, me, who's, you know, a fan, but not necessarily knowledgeable, um, my experience interacting and, and, and having these encounters with these instruments was completely different than James and Eric in terms of how they were looking at what was there, um, why it was important. Um, but there was one guitar that was there that was uh, a Woody Guthrie guitar that he had carved something in. And um, I can't remember what it is, and of course I'll... I'll hear about this because I don't remember. Uh, but it was a it was a great moment of here's a place where I have no personal connection to this 
um, to this particular object outside of my relationship, um, I don't really have a whole... I don't have a good understanding of the material qualities of guitars and how they're made and why they're important, but there was a this Woody Guthrie guitar and what it represents and the message that he had carved in the back of it was something that I as an as an American as a you know as someone who has heard this land is your land many times over and sung it wherever I had a personal personal sort of sense of myself in relation to this message that was on the guitar and I think that's a really great example of what we're talking about is that Wherever this is, if it's in a museum, we sometimes depersonalize the experience of the object because we've treated it as though it can't have all of these qualities. And I think as you as you start thinking about it, the more you can connect with something on whatever level, it doesn't have to be its craftsmanship. It could be a message that is is part of you know, what you know or who you know that helps you connect to it. That's kind of what we're looking for is a way to help people connect on any level uh, that helps them make some sort of meaning out of that object. That is, that, thank you. That is a, that's a great story. And, uh, and, and it's, it really tells so many different uh, lessons. And uh, also uh, you, it reminds me of, of one of the, the aha moments I had in reading this book and and uh, really going back to a series of aha moments that have cascaded my my personal, um, uh, my professional uh, growth over this last year. And that was uh, uh, reading Leslie Bedford's uh, book about mm-hmm. uh, in uh, exhibits and, and exhibits as art forms. But, you know, as I was reading your, your book and I was... Uh, understanding you know this this meaning making that you're that you're talking about that uh it it reminded me that you know interpreters and interpretation can often inadvertently uh or maybe overtly get in the way of mm-hmm. of those experiences yeah. because if we're uh if we have chosen as uh interpreters to only represent the object or i would say object usury <laughs> Mm-hmm. To, you know, mm-hmm. to just say, okay, we're just going to use this object as a representation of, say, time, historic time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're going to neglect the other parts of this three-dimensional thing. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, what does that do? How does that make someone feel if they come in and, uh, let's say, it's a historic uh, costume. And they could care less that it was, you know, worn by so-and-so or maybe it was uh, worn in 1770. But they really love brocade because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it reminds them of their grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, right. you know. Uh, and 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 what does that? What you know, What are we then saying in that sort of museum context that right. time is more important than what you know? The what your memory is, right? Exactly. exactly, and I think that is, um, you, you know, I think earlier you, you mentioned the, the, the adage, objects speak for themselves, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to work both with and against, is that the object has all of this layer, uh, these layers of who owned it, and what they did with it, and what it's made of, and who made it, and all of those sorts of things, but that in and of itself is not enough to create that moment of a unified experience. We're trying to figure out... Uh, how is it that that object plus person equals something new? Right. And um, 
how is it that we can accommodate the fact that seeing something maybe is more than what we are interpreting for the for the visitor who's coming in and how can we accommodate that and how can we as museum practitioners think differently about what an object can mean to someone as we keep moving forward because that can then further make museums a valuable place for all kinds of people because it's not necessarily just about what what you know why this object is important um in a particular part in time, but it could also be important to a person's sense of who they are. Yes, that's that, uh, and it re- always re- I always go back to uh, what what David Carr talks about is that we actually go to museums because we are seeking something about ourselves. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, Kirsten, I want uh, I don't want to leave you out of the conversation. Uh, <laughs> Really, I don't. And you're being so very kind uh, to <laughs> to not jump right in there. Uh, but hard. and I and I well and I and I know you, know you want to. So first, let me just ask you, you know, just, just where you would like to add into this conversation, and then maybe we can transition a bit into how the you know the two of you have been uh, you know, taking this framework and moving it into practice. Sure. I think one of the things that um, Ely raised, one of the points that Ely raised is, is taking this more personal approach into object-based encounters. And, and one of the things we want to make sure that we are not doing is being this or that. And we talked about the pendulum swing and its objects or its person. We want to be really clear that in this object knowledge framework, what we're talking about is um, is is all the things that make up um, the lived experience of a person and all the things that make up whatever the layers are that the object has and those together. So the important thing is we, we're bringing in a lot of um, different information about personal experiences with objects because that's just really been kind of left out in the museum studies literature. Um, and we really feel that that's an important element. And we, so we talk about it quite a bit, though there's a lot of examples in the book of, about that. Um, but it's important to understand that what we're talking about um, is, is the multi-layered um, reality of things, that you are a person who is an individual at the same time that you share a culture and certain knowledge with a group of people, and you live in a material world. Yes, mm-hmm. I very very good. I yeah, I the the dimensionality of this is is so very important and I I don't mm-hmm. want to get us off track uh well, much. And uh, <laughs> that is that it, you know, the other thing of, about this book that really resonated well for me is I've I've had uh the the opportunity to work with a number of uh American Indian uh groups, uh tribes throughout the country in and and having conversations Conversations about interpretation of uh, Native American artifacts, and uh, I have found some of those conversations to be just so incredibly frustrating because we all have this, the the right intentions. We want to yeah. interpret these uh, in in complex ways, but often, and and you know, most of my work is with science or natural history objects. We end up with these these dichotomies of saying, yeah. well. This is how, you know, European science uh, looks at this object, you know, whether through anthropology or archaeology lens. And then this is how Native Americans look at it. And one, you know, no, it's it's like asking uh, me to say, well, what do white 
women of German descent think about, you know, a, a topic. You know, I, 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 uh, I can tell you what I think. I can't really be a spokesperson for a nation. <laughs> yep. So have you, uh, uh, so I'm hoping that as, as you were sort of layering this theory into the practice that, that you were uh, uh, finding some ways that we wouldn't be just sort of this either or. Has that been uh, has that been your experience to date, Ely? Uh, well, I think oh, I'm sorry. The, um, <laughs> one of the things that I think <laughs> I would say is because we were really approaching this from an interdisciplinary standpoint, that we were trying to understand and honor all of these different ways of knowing. And I think that, um, again, kind of comes back into play that what we're trying to look at here is that, uh, and I think your example, Carol, uh, of the interpretation of Native um, objects and artifacts is really important because um, our len- the lenses that we use to see the world are different. Um, and they're different based on a lot of a lot of different factors, whether it is our cultural heritage, our group membership, our um, family dynamics, our faith traditions, our uh, perceptions and ideas on aesthetics and art. I mean, it's it's all very complicated. And I think um, the goal that we're looking for is really in trying to to find a way that we can be more expansive and accepting of lots of different ways of valuing what an object can say or do for a person so that um, so that we have multiple interpretations and I think that uh, you know we, we have a we had to come up with a, a list of things that we thought were important and so that's where in the book we have um, our whole series of maxims and they're, they're kind of playful and intentionally um, uh, you know, sort of bumper stickery kinds of ways of of remembering (laughs) um, how it is that we should be thinking about this. And one of those is um, really thinking about the, 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 like, uh, I think it's an object is worth a thousand meanings. It's probably worth more than that. Uh, but really to be able to recognize that in the interpretive practices that we have, whether it's curatorial, whether it is just how we choose to design something, that, that all of that can trigger more ideas and more experiences than we know are, than we have ourselves. And I think that's, to me, that's one of the most important strategies for, for looking at this. And one of the really interesting, sort of thinking about the application of this, one of the really interesting things that has come out um, in some of the work that I did with um, the Seminar for Historic Administration this past year uh, in, in going through this um, using the framework in a museum setting was how people from different walks of museum life, curators and educators and administrators can all use this framework as a way of helping them see beyond what their training is or to be able to help them see differently as a way of supporting and promoting that multiple voice idea, which is really important in, you know, as, as we move forward in museum practice in the 21st century, if you want to think about it that way, that, um, that there's, there's a lot more to what's going on that we can do. It's, it's interconnected. It's a system. Um, there's, there's lots more that we can be doing. And the more that we leave that open, uh, I think the better off we are in supporting visitors and their experience. 
that uh, thank thank you that that uh, idea that everyone, even within the museum, has an equally valid way of approaching or looking at that object is something I think we forget. We mm-hmm. you know, we we talk about in in museum practice, and I'm sure you do this in your classes about you know trying to break down the silos. Uh, mm-hmm. But but uh, in my experience, uh, you know you don't you you run into those silos fastest when you're talking about interpretation of an object and who gets to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's whether it's an object in the education collection or an object in the uh, permanent collection uh, can sometimes really shift the way we uh, uh, the the profession begins to look at and use that object mm-hmm uh, before uh, we go on, uh, we are going to have to take another short break. And when we come back, uh, more with uh, Kirsten and Ely. So uh, please stay tuned. We have so much more to talk about this wonderful book. Uh, this is Carol Bossard for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. 
Welcome back. We are talking with Ely Wood and Kirsten Latham about their uh, object experience, or I'm sorry, object knowledge framework. And um, and Ely and Kirsten, you know this because I admitted it to you when we first uh, met and talked, that what is great about this book is that it's not just a book about theory. It is a book about theory and also practice, and mm-hmm. it's broken up in that kind of chapters. And I admitted to you that I read the the uh, practice uh, uh, chapters first, and then sort of got hooked, and then I went back to the theory. So, uh, and I th- and I think that that is uh, one of the challenges that we do have in the museum world. We often have practitioners who uh, either don't have time or uh, are aren't as well versed in the theory of what we're doing. You know, we sort of fly by the seat of our pants, uh, anecdotally looking at you know just responding to visitors' needs, or there are theorists. Uh, in universities who are doing really wonderful things but maybe haven't ever set foot in a museum and had to you know talk to a five-year-old about um, uh, some some object in the museum but the two of you have a foot in both camps and I Mm -hmm. think that that's the other thing that makes this book so so amazing so in the time that we have remaining um, I would like you to talk a little bit about how uh, practitioners can really employ this framework and uh, so that they can move toward more intentional transformative experiences and so who wants to start? I can do that. Okay, Good. great. Uh, this is Kirsten. Um, well, I think one of the things that I love that you did is that you read that third section first. I love that because um, this is we did not want this to be, as, as Ely calls it, a cookbook. We, uh, we struggled with what order to put things in because when you have a book, you, it's linear. There's nothing you can do about it. It goes here, then there, then there. And we say throughout the book... Um, that you can use this any way that you see fit. Um, so starting with the last section is fine. And you said, you even said it inspired you to go and look at the rest of it. So that's great. And Ely had mentioned um, that she was um, at a session where there were, there was a curator and an educator um, and they, they, each used it differently, and you can speak to that a little bit if you want to, Ely, in a second. But I think that's the, the thing that we want to make clear about this book is that it's not prescriptive necessarily, and uh, we do provide the background and the theory and the framework. We also provide exercises, examples of how those are um, in practice. If, what we've seen, we did some research and went to actual places to try to figure out um, how these different exercises and concepts were being used at different institutions. Um, we also, um, at a certain point, I think, um, Ely and I both think that if you have an exercise in the book that you really like, but it doesn't quite fit what we say, make it your own. And we, we're really good with that. We want you to take it and whatever inspires you to do with it, at least you're, you're doing something and you're thinking about it and using new tools and, and getting yourself at something uh, that makes uh, things better for the visitor object experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the, uh, the final chapter the, uh, is called The End is the Beginning, and we probably should, probably should have called it Start Here, um, <laughs> last chapter. <laughs> right, um, because our, our goal was, as we were writing this, to, to try to make it be useful for people who wanted um, to use different parts of it. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, the experience that I have, that I'm a scholar-in-residence at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, so I'm working with staff there 
on a regular basis, I'm sitting on exhibit development teams and I'm working with programmers and developers and designers and um, knowing them is, is one audience that I had in mind as we were writing this. But at the same time, I also had my students in mind and mm-hmm. thinking about the kinds of questions that they come with, which are very different because their experience is different, their perspectives are are not grounded in the same worldviews. And so, uh, you know, and then there was thinking about writing it for my mom, who <laughs> doesn't do anything with museums, and was she going to fall asleep or, you know, be kind yeah, of interested yeah. in it? And so um, our goal was really to, to have everything that was there for people who needed it. And, and we knew that a bunch of people would skip the theory, and that was okay. Um, but it was there, and part of that is just because we have a value of the, the scholarship that needs to go into it so that um, that we can we can give you the direction that you want to go. If you really want to, to mm-hmm. learn more on this, here's a place where you can find that. And as I think as we were developing these um, these practical experiences, a lot of them uh, came from other uh, walks of life and other activities that we have done that started to coalesce around this framework. So um, a lot of what the the exercises are about are just helping you to think differently Mm -hmm. about objects and how you can use them in an exhibition particularly, but also in a program and so forth. So it it, it, it does take a sense of knowing what you want or at least a direction that you want to go as you start to use the materials. I I, uh, I I found your exercises and your uh, uh, suggestions very uh, refreshing and opening, and I and I truly and it just enforced my feeling that that as we've as interpreters we've gotten so good at what we do that we sort of you know beeline into what is that key yeah. message mm-hmm. and uh, you know again we you know I was talking uh, about Leslie Bedford who is you know has a, an, an amazing book on on exhibitions mm-hmm. and she invokes this sense of you know leave room for the magic leave room oh, for yeah. the what if and and you have that as maxim seven which is leave right. room for more right uh, I you know it, it, it's it's sometimes I think great ideas uh, it, as we know sort of come uh, all at once and they seem to come from different directions uh, and it's uh it's almost as as Debussy uh, was was uh, reported to say. You know, the music is between the notes, uh, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's and 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 so much of what I I took away from your book was just that. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is one of your maxims, it, it, but it is sort of relax and let it flow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's great. You know, as as. You know, as we were going through and trying to come up with these, it sometimes is really hard to be practical, but I think the case studies came into play in a good way uh, from that standpoint because we know that people are doing this work all over the place, but they maybe haven't put a name to it or they haven't found um, that same moment of, of uniting uh, the sort of the direction or the intention that they have. And so that was another goal is using the case studies as a way of demonstrating what this looks like in practice because I think the more that you are able to see these different um, these different strategies in practice, the better it is for you to be able to use them yourselves. And so uh, sometimes the, the exercises really 
were clear based on things that we've done in our own teaching, but also they evolved out of um, visits that we made or that I made. I crisscrossed the country. I think I visited something in the order of 52 to 60 museums um, to do the research for this book to find the examples and to to be able to articulate those in such a way that that worked for what we were trying to talk about. Uh, yes, I and and you know, and I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact of that that your examples reflected objects in a variety of museum settings. Yeah, and that was extremely uh, powerful for me, as I said in the introduction. Uh, I've had many guests on, and I talk with many colleagues who are uh, focusing on art. Uh, interpretation, which can be, you know, varied uh, and and uh, and and expressive, and almost lends itself to some of these questions. But sometimes the, you know, the rusty sword in the historic home, it's a little more challenging to <laughs> figure out how that how that could have this, you know, sort of transformative uh, potential. But but I think that your book does allow uh, does give some insights and in, and in how. How interpreters could look at that single object and come up with a variety of meanings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what? We've got about four minutes, so I'm going to put you both on the spot here <laughs> and ask you, you know, what's what's next? So, what are you know? Obviously, research uh, research questions simply breed more research questions. So, yeah. uh, which uh, and and uh, you know, uh, Kirsten, I'm going to put you on the spot first, um, uh, just because I can. And uh, you know, so so what sort of is your next step what is what was a what's a question that that is unanswered that's going to propel your work for a while well I feel like um, I feel like what we need to do next and we don't really have a next step we really want to just dig a little deeper into everything and you know Ely and I are doing different projects that are that you really could say sort of fission off from this object knowledge framework I'm working on um, um, a project on the real thing and visitor perceptions of that. And Ely's working on, uh, you want to give the name of it, Ely? Oh, Your the project? Active Collections Project. Yeah, the Active Collections Project. So we're just really taking what it is that we've got here, this object knowledge framework, and just digging a lot deeper into different pieces and parts of it. We feel like there's a lot of room to, to figure more things out. Uh, Ely, what is the Active Collections proce- uh, Project? Um, well, it's uh, it's actually not it's not mine, uh, but I've joined the joined forces with uh, Rainey Tisdall and Trevor Jones, who have uh, been thinking a lot on the challenges that that many small museums face uh, around historic material, particularly, but also thinking more broadly about how we uh, we talk so much about how many how many objects uh, museum collections hold, but we don't really talk about what they do for the visitor, and we don't talk about what they can be, uh, and so. A lot of what um, sort of the work that I'm doing both uh, research-wise but also in work with um, active collections is trying to think about how do we better think about the role that these objects play so that they can become more active 
in how they contribute to the the overall visitor experience. And I think those, you know, sort of, again, what what, um, Kirsten and I are both doing are really kind of getting down to the object level and looking at what is it about this thing and how do we activate its object world and connect it to the Mm -hmm. the visitor's life world um, to make it make a difference so that that, that we don't have these warehouses of, of... stuff but we have that we have um important collections that make a difference for people. So whether or not, you know, Kirsten's work on uh, looking at whether or not the real thing, whether the the realness of an object matters is really important in terms of thinking about the value of what museums collections hold. And I've been, uh, a project that I did with my students um, over the last year has been called Why Is This Here? And our job has been to develop a, a, a tool to assess the value of an object in promoting family conversations uh, at the Children's Mm -hmm. Museum and, and, you know, what is, you know, is this going to help us get where we want to go from a mission standpoint? So... Well, there's so obviously there's so much more to talk about, and I will. Uh, I hope we can schedule time for you both to come back on the show and share your uh, your insights uh, in this coming year. Uh, you Great. both are providing so much to the field. Thank you so much for being on the show uh, today. Uh, thank you, all of my guests. Uh, as I said, the next two shows are going to be uh, uh, repeats. Uh, so I'm going to take this opportunity to wish everyone a wonderful and prosperous new year. Again, this is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. I'll see you in 2015. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.